The last couple days, there are a couple verses that we studied on Sunday, and I've been thinking about them so much and looking at them over and over again. It's verse 22 and 23, because they speak about the compassion that, that you and I are to have on anybody who's headed towards destruction, on anybody that's going, going that way, the way that we know leads to doom and leads to death. And oh, how I, I need to be reminded of what it says in verse 22 of Jude. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. Now, isn't it clear that the book of Jude says we are to confront false teaching. We are to confront people that are leading others astray. In fact, the whole heart of the book is this, these 19 verses of, of warning. But then we get to this part of the book and it tells us that we're to have compassion even though we've confronted the errant ways and really make sure that we cry out to those people and say, you're off course, I, I care for you deeply, I care about your eternity. Isn't the, the point that the rebuke would lead to repentance? And sometimes I get this way where I'm insistent upon winning the battle. I, I see the this battle between truth and lies, and I want to win the battle. But really what the Lord wants is to win a soul, right? It's, it is a battle. I'm not saying that it's not. But a person's eternity is hanging in the balance. And it's not my job or your job. It's God's job to decide what their destiny is. It's your job and my job to have compassion on them and to not have an attitude of, a disdain, of disdain for those who are are promoting unbelief and immorality and rebellion, those things that we learned about this last, uh, this last Sunday. We're to plea with them and to, to show them that we really do care for them, that we have compassion. To, yes, combat the lie, but care about the person. I'm just asking you tonight, and I'm asking myself tonight, like, is that really who we are? Do we have the compassion of Jesus in us towards the deceivers. I get angry with deceivers, even though the Word of God says that they are deceiving and being deceived. I get angry with them because they're tricking people, but the Word of God tells us that they're also tricked by their own lies. And even though they need to be confronted with the truth, I don't want to just have this attitude of disdain towards them. I was reminded of a song that I first heard when I was a senior in high school, and you might not know it. I didn't even remember it till the last couple days. But it talks about having the, the compassion of Jesus in us for others. And it's, it's so wonderful to be reading through one of the Gospels because you just see Jesus' heart over and over again, caring for the lost, caring for those that are deceived, caring for people because they're like a sheep without a shepherd. Verse 22 says, making a distinction. Part of that distinction is, is, Lord, I'm to have compassion on, on those that are deceived. I'm, I'm supposed to see, look, you're being, you're being tricked, you're being duped, and, and I want you to know the ways of life. And then verse 23, but others, so you just see how there's at least two groups of people, people here, the ones that you have compassion on. And then 23 says, but others save with fear, save with fear, it says. Let's think about what that means. Pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled 
by the flesh. The scripture is a two-edged sword, isn't it? We know that the kindness of God leads to repentance. But here we're told that there are those that need to be saved with fear, pulling them from the fire. So this is another group of people, and it literally means grabbing, snatching, seizing, harpazo. You'll be familiar with that word because this is the word that we get rapture from, to seize them out of the fire. And I was thinking about this picture that I saw when I was little, and it was at the Oakland Pinal Rescue Mission because I used to go there with my dad when I was just a little kid. And it was right behind the pulpit, and it was tons of waves in the picture, like the crashing sea. And then there was a gigantic hand, the hand of God, and then there was a man in that hand, and, and he was being pulled from the sea. It was an impossible scene, impossible with the Lord. And it reminded me of a song that we used to sing there, Um, Love lifted me, it says, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, and from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. That's your story, that's my story, that's my history. If you're in Christ today, he lifted you up out of the pit. He rescued you from the waves. He rescued you from the fire. And that realization is the fear that's talked about at the beginning of verse 23. Because so many in our world, they don't see where they're headed. And this is an eternal matter. And so there's certainly times when we're sharing the gospel that we've got to make eternity really clear to people. Like this isn't just about today. It's not just about whether your life is going to be better if you have a tomorrow on this earth. This is about eternal life or eternal death. This is about forever. Have you ever seen somebody snatched from danger, like close to a cliff or maybe pulled pulled from a, a car? It's a pretty... Maybe you've seen it in movies a lot. Have you ever seen it in real life, like where somebody's going down and they're, they're saved just by the skin of their teeth? It's like your heart's just pounding. You're like, I can't believe that just happened. They almost died. And that's the picture that we get here in verse 23, that we're supposed to be agents of redemption, coming with the news, the good news of Jesus to that person and telling them, this is the truth about eternity. And there's a God, the almighty God who loves you and he's made a way for you to know eternal life. Recently, when I was um, witnessing at the Yuba City Mall, I get weary and I thought, I'm just going to cut to the chase. So I got different methods. One is just, hi, my name's Eddie. Do you want to talk about eternal life? Seriously, are you willing to talk about eternal life? Would you talk to me about eternal life? Just a couple minutes. And I was rejected, rejected. No, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in eternal life. When you think about that statement, it's like, you mean you're not interested in living forever? I even said that. So you're not interested in living forever? No. I think six, seven times, no, not interested. And I'm realizing, I I realize I can't force them to listen. At the same time, uh, after that, a couple of times, I said, well, I do want you to know that there is eternity and that God has made a way for you to be saved from hell and given heaven. And people say, well, that scares me. Well, look at 23. There's a reality that Jesus loves us so much that he gave his life for us. 
And since that's our story, we shouldn't be negligent to deliver the truth about eternal life, pulling them from the fire. And often we think, like, let's revamp the gospel, leave eternity out of it. It's not as offensive. The scriptures tell me and tell you that the gospel is going to be a rock of offense to some. Doesn't it say that? And then I'm reminded about the verse that's written on the wall right out there, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So when I shirk to tell people that there's eternal life and that God can save them from eternal death, am I afraid? Am I ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't want to be that person. So let's back up a little bit now because we didn't really look at verse 12 and 13 in those verses in there. We skipped ahead to the section on compassion and pulling people from the fire. So go back to 12 if you could. And there are, truthfully, three more warnings, at least that I see. We'll call them red flags. And then when we get down towards the end in verse 21 and 22, actually just 21, sorry, 20 and 21, we'll get um, more than just warnings. We'll get some applications for our lives So it says this, if you look at verse 12. These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom it is reserved, the blackness of darkness forever. So you see the warning. The church used to have something like we still have. They would call it the love feast or the agape feast. And each person in the church would bring food. Some could bring a lot. Some could bring a little. Some could bring fancy food. Some would bring corn dogs. And they would gather together and they would break bread together. They would receive the Lord's Supper And it says here that these ungodly people came into the church, they came to the love feasts, and they just served themselves. You mean they showed up to the assembly looking for how they could be served. Are we ever like that? We come to church for us. Now, I know the Lord ministers to us. I know that God God blesses us, and He comforts us. And isn't it wonderful when when He does that? But... If we come with eyes on ourselves first, we're eventually going to be very disappointed because we come for the Lord and how we can serve his people. And sometimes we're so blessed that we get distracted and we think, well, I didn't get as blessed this time as I did last time. Look at these people who crept into the church. They were after their own blessing, even at the dinner table, even at the lunch buffet. They said, it's about me me, me. And in this context, the church was very diverse at the time. There were slaves and there were the very rich. And for those who were slaves, this would have been the best meal they had all week long. And these greedy men were coming in and saying, look, I'm a lot of talk, but I'm not a lot of action. That's the first red flag that I see. Lots of talk with little action. Notice how Jude uses a lot of the natural elements He uses creation. He uses nature 
to just give us four really fast examples. What are the four really fast examples from nature? I hear a lot of people say this. Oh, I love creation. When I'm outside, I'm just near to God. What does it show you about God? He's good at it. Listen to what the Holy Spirit tells him. First of all, he says that these people who have crept into the church, they're like clouds, but they don't rain. They look like they're going to rain, like, you know, those threatening clouds that are going to water the earth, but they just never burst forth. They have the outside appearance of looking like they're going to produce something, but it's like that big dark cloud that drifts over and keeps on being, what does it say, blown by the wind and never releases the rain that it promised. That's what the ungodly are like who come into the church. Lots of talk and very little action. What's the next point there? It's a tree. It's a tree that doesn't produce fruit. And it even gives us the season by the late autumn, by the late fall. There ought to be some fruit on that tree, right? They should, it should have done something. Some trees, like a cherry, produces more in the springtime, right? And then you get into some plums. I've noticed that they just keep getting bigger and bigger. And you get to peaches. You're like, yes, right? But if it's, you're into fall and you don't have any peaches on the tree, something's really wrong. So look, they're, they're trees without fruit. They're not bearing anything. They're, they've got a lot of show, but not a lot of action. My grandparents met in the Philippines um, after World War II. So my grandmother was a very short Filipino lady, and my grandfather was a very tall Norwegian. And I tell people that my grandmother was Filipino, and they tell me, you're, you're lying. And it's like, well, I'm not lying. So me and my cousins would go into the kitchen uh, on, on Christmas because she would be making ponset and adobo, and our favorite was lumpia. There would just be stacks of lumpia, and she would like be frying them, and they'd be coming off the pan. So we would drift through the kitchen, not helping, just like grabbing, right? Just take a couple of lumpia, lumpia and go out. And I was, there was a group of cousins, and sadly, some of them, my junior, cousin Junior Sulu is, isn't with us anymore. I was the little cousin. So these were some big guys. They were all tall. And when we'd come through, my, my grandma would push us, get out of my kitchen, you big galoots. You're like trees with no shade, she would say. And I wasn't smart enough to understand what that meant at that time. I'm like, tree with no shade? What, is, what in the world does that mean? It means like you're tall, but you're not doing anything. You're not working. You're just here to take, right? That's what the ungodly are like when they come through the church. Trees without fruit. You might say trees without shade. They're not, they're a lot of show on the outside. They might look big, but it's, it's not really very genuine. What's the next example that Jude uses from nature for these people that are a, a lot of talk and little action? They're like waves. Waves are impressive on the outside. You, you look, you're like, wow, um, powerful. How many of you, you look to swim in the foamy part of the ocean where it's all frothy? I have never desired to swim in that section of the ocean. That's the gross part where the bacteria is. You can, if you breathe in all those bubbles, it's, it's some bad stuff. I, not only, I had to look this up. I thought it was dirty before, but then I, I looked up. It is, it's a dirty part of the ocean. It says, these waves, 
They're foaming up their own judgment. They've got all this outside show, but they're not really cleansing the way that a wave should. Instead, there's, there's leaven there. And beware of the leaven. Beware of the contamination, Jude says. The next analogy or example is the star. Like a falling star, it, it fizzles out. So here it is. These people creep into church. There's like this much work and, and this much talk. Beware of a lot of talk and a little bit of toil. I want to be working way more than I'm talking. And if I've got to talk, 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 I have to ask myself, is that like this self-promoting generation or is that like Jesus? I, be a doer of the word. Now, it's not wrong to invite. It's not wrong to encourage. It's not wrong to give testimony of the things that God has done. But it does get to the place sometimes, and we get this warning here that there can be a lot of talk and not a lot of doing. Is that what I'm like? Is that what you're like? Is that the way that we're following? Do you see the way it is today? And it's getting so prevalent now. People are so self-promoting. Like they'll do a little and then they spend just the rest of the week talking about what they did at the little, right? We're supposed to be the opposite of that, right? Just get it done. Beware. That's the first red flag of a lot of talk and just a little bit of action. I think we read as far as, as far as 14, and it speaks here about Enoch. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. So only seven generations in, we have Enoch foretelling, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints, to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. Now this red flag hits pretty close to home. At the beginning, on Sunday, we talked about unbelief. Then we talked about immorality. Then we talked about rebellion. Then we talked about the laziness of being a lot of talk and no action. But this flag, red flag, is complaining. Beware of being a grumbler, of being a complainer, of going the way of the person who murmurs and complains. We're told in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing, even the hard things. Even the things we'd rather not do, do them without grumbling or disputing. I will always have something subpar in my life as long as I'm on this earth, this side of heaven. Things that won't be ideal, far from ideal. Struggles, temptations, hurts, sins, sicknesses. The question is, will we fall into the grumbling and the complaining? In, in the body of Christ, there are some who are real skeptics and they sow the seeds of skepticism. Instead of encouraging towards truth, they're there undermining and complaining. We get the warning here. Instead of grumbling, we should be grateful. That's the recipe, right? When I'm thankful, I don't have time to complain. When I'm thankful, I see all that God has done and I'm not focused on what I, what I don't have. And that's the mindset that we should have and we should 
have that second red flag. Grumbling and not grateful, that's not what we want to be. We should be praying and with thankfulness in our hearts instead of being those who walk according to their own lusts. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Here's another red flag. Flattering to further themselves. Flattery is pretty sneaky, isn't it? It shouldn't be, but why is flattery so sneaky? Because it's so pleasing to hear nice things said to you. Sometimes you don't you won't even realize it. You're like, why am I liking this so much? Well, it's because they're building you up and not in a way that where you're building the Bible, but they're telling you nice things about yourself because they want gain for themselves. It's not necessarily true, or maybe it is true, partially true, but they're doing it for their own gain. I looked up some Proverbs about flattery. Proverbs 28, 23. He who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. So look at this. A friend who will speak the truth, even if that truth is a rebuke, will have more, more favor than the person who just says a lot of nice things. And really, it's for an ulterior motive. A test for your friendship. When things are good, it's really good to say, easy to say, I should say, we're good friends. But how do you deal with trial? That's when you find out if you really have a good friend or not. Can your friend come to you in trial, or do you just expect a friend that's going to ignore the difficulty of, of sin or the difficulty of confronting when it needs to happen? And that's a real friend, isn't it? This proverb says it too, 29.5. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. So we should be more than friends that just constantly affirm all behavior. Maybe there's two of you, three of you, five of you that talk a lot. That could be really good. But we don't necessarily know that until we realize how we're going to handle difficulty. So flattery is when you just come in and you say what you think you need to say to gain advantage. In the body of Christ, there's a lot of flattery through the giving of positions. There's a lot of flattery through the giving of spiritual gifts. Think about this. Who did the gifts of the Spirit come from? The Spirit, right? That's why they're called the gifts of the Spirit. <laughs> Yet in the body of Christ, flatterers will come in and because they, they know that, that people can be easily duped, they say, well, I just see you doing this. You don't know how many times I've been prophesied over. <laughs> and it wasn't in truth, it was just, flattery. Look, oh, I just see this in you. And you start realizing after the fact, this is, somebody's just saying this stuff because they think it's going to make them look holy or righteous or like they're a leader. And, and they're thinking it's going to make me feel good. Now, sometimes it takes years to figure that out. But listen to the Lord. And it's not that we won't ever have confirmation through each other. But I see this giving away of titles and, oh, you've got this or that. A lot of times that's just done for flattery, isn't it? Well, call yourself this. And then the person's off on this wild goose chase thinking they've got a certain gift when they really don't. They're a victim of flattery. Somebody told them that at some point in their life. And it's not the truth. They were being manipulated. This to gain a following. Instead of 
speaking the truth in love, the flatterer comes. Remember when we're studying those epistles, John, John wrote to the children saying, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? That's, that's a real friend, isn't it? And I know all of us are thankful for those kind of people in our lives, and we should beware of those who only speak positive, because believe me, not everything in my life is positive. <laughs> not everything in my life is righteous, and those rebukes are needed, and the same is true for you also. 17. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. So we have the reminder in the Old Testament with Enoch. Enoch said, these deceivers are going to come. The ungodly are going to come. The seventh in from Adam. Who else? After the ministry of Jesus, the apostles warned that in the latter days that these deceivers would come into the church. This is the Lord saying, I told you so. I told you that these ungodly creepers would be there flattering you. And they'd be a lot of talk without very much action. That they would sow the seeds of unbelief. That they would act like immorality is no big deal. That they would promote rebellion. Beware of them. Because God sent his messengers, the prophets, and then the apostles to tell us about this. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Do you see at the beginning of verse 20, it's like, okay, they're like that. That's the way they're living. They're flatterers. They live for immorality and unbelief. There are a lot of talk, not very much action. They complain quite a bit. But you, look at verse 20, you be different than them. You be distinct. Build yourself up. So here's the first action, and we'll cover them, cover them quickly. Build yourself up. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Instead of being an unbelieving, immoral, rebellious, lazy, grumbling flatterer, have faith in Jesus. And then that means you don't just wait and relax, but you live by faith. We live by faith in the Lord, the faith that he delivered to us. Notice that it's called a holy faith, the most holy faith. That means it's like no other. It's separate. It's distinct. It stands out. Does a good builder always have a plan? Even if they're building a doghouse, a good builder has a plan. Now, some people can fake it a little better than others, right? But if there's going to be a good building, if there's going to be quality building going on, there's got to be a plan. Do we plan to grow in faith? Do we make a plan and then seek the Lord to carry that out in our lives? That's just being intentional and saying, I need to grow in my faith I know that. I'm commanded by the Lord to build myself up. What is my plan? You hear it every January. Here we are. It's almost fizzling out already. Where It's the 11th, right? What do you want to be different about your life? Well, we want to be built up in our faith. And what's the plan for that? Because if I don't plan, how do I expect the building to turn out very good? If I'm haphazard about it, or if I do the same thing that I did last year, 
and it didn't turn out like there wasn't a whole lot of building happening. Why do I think it's going to happen now? I was thankful when one of my kids said, Here's, which Bible reading plan are you doing? That's a plan. Now, it's not at some automatic, you know, I check the boxes and I'm going to be close to Jesus thing. That's not what I'm saying. But it's a plan to build my faith in the Lord. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. I need to hear it. I need to have it wash over me. Even if it's Job and his friends, right? I'm doing the chronological one. That's the one we're doing. It's like, boy, he's got some really lousy friends, in my opinion. I just, but I think those are some bad friends. So the first action, we had three red flags. First action is build. Build your faith. We have a responsibility. Number two, what's the second action? Pray. Spirit-guided prayer. Not just routine or, or rote or praying by a pattern. Now, it's good to be consistent, but there's this fine line between, okay, these are the things that are on my heart, Lord, but I want to pray in the Spirit consistently so that the Spirit is molding and shaping our desires to be like the desires of Jesus. See, when we pray in the Spirit, we are bringing the Lord our petitions, but we're letting the Spirit speak through us the desires of the Lord, not just our desires. It's a lot easier for me to bring what I want to God, and that is a form of prayer. But praying in the Spirit is change me, Spirit, from the inside out and give me desires like Jesus. Give me eyes like Jesus. Give me hope like him. Give me the hope of him, I should say. If you memorize the Ephesians 6 chapter, Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Yes, pray. But I get like this sometimes where I know I've got to pray and I'm like, am I praying in the Spirit or am I actually trying to pray in the flesh? Letting the Holy Spirit minister to us and through us. So there's this really practical building, have a plan, and there's this very important praying in the Spirit. Third verb or action that I see is keep. Keep what? Yourselves in the love of God. The Lord knows that we need to maintain love. This is what it says in Philippians 2 2. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love. Love takes maintenance. So here we have it that we're to keep ourselves not in our own love, but in God's love. I didn't make it. You didn't make it. I didn't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Neither do you. God gave us his love. And he's saying, I want you to live in it. I want you to keep living in it to find yourself enveloped in my love, to let me teach you how to love people, to let me teach you how to love me back. We, we run dry when we're not connected to the love of God. We're not in the love of God. Fourth verb, fourth action is looking. In the middle of 21, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life looking for him to show mercy and looking for ways to give mercy to others. Like give, is there a way I can give an, another opportunity? The Lord can use me as an agent of his mercy. Am I merciful? 
Now, sometimes it, you're, you're saying, man, I just don't I feel like trying to extend the mercy of God, but I'm reminded about what Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's 5-7, Matthew 5-7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I want mercy. You do too, right? Definitely. So, according to God's word, I should be a merciful person. I should say, here's the opportunity. Let me tell you about what the word says. Let me extend to you the truth, the grace, the love. And here it says, yes, they're going to live that way. They're going to be chasing after complaining. They're going to be living according to the flesh. But you, beloved, you, the ones that I love, you live this way. Simple, straight, two verses, a power-packed application for our lives. The Lord, um, if the Lord wills, we will cover the last two verses this coming Sunday. This doxology is my favorite in the whole Bible. Super short book, but what a wonderful ending to, to wrap it all in. What a just, I hope that you worship in it and you've been worshiping in it, letting the truth soak into you because he's the one. Now unto him, let's worship the one who can keep us from stumbling, right? Keep you from falling. And the one who presents us faultless, you and me faultless, because of Jesus, presents us faultless before his throne with singing, with great rejoicing. Lord, thank you for having mercy on us. And thank you for turning our hearts. We call out to you for those that do not yet know you, who are fooled by the ways of man. We pray that you would give us compassion for them, Lord, and that you, it wouldn't just be a pity, but really a compassion that, that moves us to shine the light and speak the word. We get the, the life of living forgiven and free and to be your children, and so I pray that we'd be ready to stand for that and look for ways to give your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.